This is a podcast about rejecting tyranny and oppression by cultivating both systemic and individual change. I believe the only way to create this kind of monumental change is to inspire understanding, love, and kindness. From there, we can work to embody these essential values in our cultural systems and in our individual lives. My hope is that by effectively communicating with anyone and everyone, we can establish a shared vision for humanity and explore new ways of living to build a better world for all of us. I'm your host, Nathan Jones, and this is The Kindness Rebellion. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of The Kindness Rebellion. This week, I have Tyler Gibbs on the podcast. Tyler is a uh, Utah entrepreneur with a lot of cool businesses, specifically, uh, what's what's your latest venture called? Audio House. Audio House. So make sure to check it out. Uh, the reason I asked Tyler to be on the podcast today was um, to go over his experience homesteading, uh, your experience up here in Fruitland, Utah, um, and just kind of the entire premise of that and what it took to make that happen, why he finds it valuable. So uh, I really appreciate you being here with me today, Tyler. This is, a, this is a really cool opportunity. It's great to see you after so long. Uh, we haven't seen each other in years, but uh, <laughs> it still feels like uh, still feels like I know you so well. So it's awesome to just kind of rekindle that right away. So it's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to see you. Yes. <clears throat> awesome. Thank you, man. So let's honestly, let's just dive right into it, dude. So like... I love the entire concept of homesteading. I just, I love the freedom and the autonomy that it, um, that it provides. And also the, uh, the ability to kind of reconnect with our, uh, evolutionary roots, like our ability just to live off the land and, um, understand how to cultivate life and, uh, and just be just that freedom aspect of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd love to kind of start with just why did you even decide to buy this property? Why did you decide to start homesteading? Yeah, well, I mean, 100% honest for me, I can't answer that question without um, bringing up a little bit of the spiritual side in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that really is just the fact that, you know, uh, Anna and I were recently married. We've been married for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we jumped straight into having kids, mm-hmm. uh, which was not fully planned, but it, it, it was, you know, it, it was not something we were avoiding either. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, we only been, only been married about a year. We just had Rachel, our first daughter, and we were living in a small apartment in South town in South Salt Lake. And we walked to a park and in that park, for whatever reason, like we both just sat down on a bench and felt like we had kind of escaped you know the world Mm -hmm. and as we were just sitting there playing with our baby it was like we this like this feeling went over both of us it was one of those moments where like we both looked at each other and knew that we were both feeling the same thing which is kind of why i see you know on a spiritual regard it was just something that like hit both of us Mm -hmm. it felt like it was something that we needed to follow and it was just that feeling of like we need to get out of the city Mm. we need to find some land whatever that may be like whatever that may look like um which was a strange feeling for us to have. We did not have any money. Again, like we were, I was like 23, 24. Um, She was pretty young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think Anna would have been like only 19. Oh, wow. Um, And so, you know, I had just finished college. I had no money. We're like, how the heck are we going to get out of here and buy land? Like that's, anyway, so, but kind of all, as we followed that, like feeling that we felt to to do that um we weren't really big into homesteading anna had lived 
in a kind of homestead environment for a lot of her life. Um, her family also like lived in a camper and just traveled everywhere though. So like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't like homesteading was our primary goal. It was more like following that feeling that we needed to get out of the city, that we needed to have a place where our kids could experience nature, could connect. Mm. But again, like all of that was more just building logical pieces um, on top of that underlying feeling that was completely unlogical of Mm -hmm. just, we need to get out. Yes. Um, I could go on forever about like logical reasons we've discovered since then, but Mm -hmm. it really was that feeling. Honestly, I I don't think there's any reason to shy away from that spiritual feeling and like that that deep sense of longing for nature and to kind of get out of the city because I think... A lot of us, I mean, I'm mostly speaking for myself. I'm I'm really in that same boat where there is just like a deep need for nature. Mm-hmm. I think we've uh, I think we've definitely put ourselves in an environment that we are not evolved for, specifically the city life and specifically, you know, late stage capitalism. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really think that the the feeling of just like I we need to get out. We need to be able to reconnect with nature reconnect with the land reconnect with ourselves yeah that's that's a very valid feeling and i think it's uh something that's deeply felt by a lot of people so totally um i like it a lot but like for those that really do want to know the logical reasons what were the logical reasons that started to pull you into that like you know you said you you know you weren't really focused on homesteading per se Mm -hmm. but what is it that actually drew you into uh homesteading yeah well anna's degree is in child development and Mm -hmm. she's like a pretty highly respected montessori teacher for the infant to toddler realm. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what she focuses on is infant to toddler. Yeah. And, you know, within that child development regard, I mean, reasons galore for being not in the city, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, simple enough of like being able for Rachel and and Grace now to be able to run around and play on five and a half acres Mm -hmm. with nothing outside of that five and a half Mm -hmm. acres that could hurt them really. Um, Like, they have that full autonomy to explore Mm. to find out like what is a rock and does it hurt apparently Mm. it does like (laughs) and but to be in a safe environment where it's not like what is asphalt does it hurt which is a different Mm -hmm. thing you know or what is a a car car? (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly what is a car and does that hurt so totally different risk level Mm -hmm. for uh i almost said for students we're all students of life but for kids to explore and enjoy life and play Mm -hmm. which is the way we learn naturally Mm -hmm. um even as adults right and and if we choose to play in the right regards and so um uh but specifically animals started to come into the picture Mm -hmm. because i have a and it wasn't i think because of how i was raised i think it might just be a little more my personality and, Mm -hmm. and the empathy i have but like I deeply care a lot about animal life mm-hmm. um, and plant life, and I re- like. Of course, I recognize that, like, in order to sustain my life and to eat, you know, whether I was, if even if I was vegan, you know, there's still this kind of concept of you have to kill mm-hmm. a plant or you know an animal either way yeah. to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of just a matter of fact of, of the life that we live well yeah. especially as omnivores as, as human omnivores like yeah we just we have to consume things and uh, i like that you that you also incorporate plant life into that because mm-hmm. you know it, it can be destructive um when we you know have monoculture crops or we have things like that where yeah it's plant life and so we're not necessarily killing an animal life but we are still like annihilating the environment by not honoring it for yeah. what it really is well it, so environment's a huge aspect mm-hmm. um on an individual perspective of the plant, you know, some plants you could say it's a little different because, like, an apple or fruits are tend, mm-hmm. you know, tend to just be um, 
the the uh the like the reproductive mm-hmm. aspect of the plant right um although you know for things like potatoes mm-hmm. that's like that's literally the root of the plant that's like the whole you plant. cannot eat the the potato without destroying the plant the plant mm. um and so and, and other things where it might be the stock like rhubarb and stuff like that anyway mm-hmm. kind of a different aspect but um anyway so there's kind of like that concept of you know that's just the reality of things what we can do is respect and honor and love um and connect with life mm. as much as we mm, can with you know reality is always a limiting factor to things yeah uh, but as much as we realistically can we can connect with life and love it and honor it um uh and still consume it and still consume it mm-hmm. and, and you know and and that might be that gets into like a whole different concept of things yeah. but so anyway so that's something we wanted for our kids and so um bees got involved in our life and mm-hmm. chickens got involved in our life and pigs got involved in our mm-hmm. life um which has all been a wonderful experience and, and of course there's been lots of uh species of plants involved in that process as mm-hmm. well so you know we have w- well we haven't been great at keeping a lot of those alive, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but we've we've had blackberries, blueberries, strawberries, uh, apple trees, peach trees, mm-hmm. um, all sorts of things here. Here's the thing, man. Like it, it, just you going out and have and just doing the work, just trying to get those experiences and get that knowledge, gather that, is just so valuable and so important. I think uh, one thing that's been really hard for me, particularly, is just seeing like seeing these lifestyles and seeing this way of living through the lens of like social media or Mm. even just like uh you know like documentaries and movies and things like that the thing that's been so hard is that it just seems like very oversimplified or it's just kind of uh kind of given to me in a way that's like oh yeah you have to do this if you want to be this way you should do it this way if you want to be this way and then just making it and then i i under i'm starting to learn how the hardest part is just getting started. Is mm. just get is actually just doing it and allowing yourself to fail, allowing those things to hit you in the nuts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just having mm-hmm. to learn from it. And so that's I think that's what's been so valuable from what I'm seeing from you mm-hmm. is just you actually going out here, you're getting you got your land, and you're just trying to learn how to work with it. And and honestly, I think it's really cool. I think it's been I can tell that it's probably been very valuable for you. Oh, absolutely, very valuable. But I mean, I think going back to even what I said about our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the way humans learn is through play, mm. right? And if you are willing to enjoy the process and willing to recognize like, okay, play includes getting hurt sometimes. Yeah. Play includes like jumping off a 20 foot, you know, balcony and realizing like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Like <laughs> that hurt. Like that's how we learn. Yeah. And so if your play is buying real estate, growing land or not growing land, growing plants on the land that you bought, cultivating it. Like you're in a journey of play. You're in a journey of, okay, the next step is, I guess I'm going to have fun reading contracts and figure out what that's like. (laughs) And like, I need to, I guess I shouldn't say I need to because that almost takes the play out of it. It's Mm -hmm. just like, that's what I stumbled upon. That's what I think we can learn so much from kids is like their play normally isn't planned. Mm Mm-hmm they are heading in a direction and they're stumbling upon life. Mm. And if you're, you know, the older we grow, like the consequences get bigger. Like if you stumble on a bad contract deal, that might affect the rest of your life. Yeah. But I think that when we are too, you know, when we have paralysis because we're too scared of the consequences, Mm -hmm. um, 
that approach doesn't allow us to learn. What allows us to learn instead is, well, I'm going to stumble into this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have the foresight to know like, Mistakes will be made. Mistakes will be made. So what do I need to research now so that when I get to that area of play, I'm prepared for it? Mm, That's so valuable. I love that analogy. That is like so important. I think um, it just, it shows how you're willing to not only just take risks, but see risk in a different way and see life in a different way. Because I think that's something we're really missing. A lot of people are missing that, you know, it's, it's either uh, I've got to, I'm only going to make big changes in my life if I know what I, or at least I think I know what the outcome is going to be. Um, Which we never know. Never, <laughs> never. And I, I love the idea that it's not about, it's not even really focused on the outcomes. It's not even focused on like a, like achieving a goal. I'm sure that's a part of it, mm-hmm. but it sounds like it's so much more focused on learning and play, like mm-hmm. you're saying, and just really integrating with it and working with it, which I think is honestly so yeah. valuable. Well, and this might be taking a small detour, but I, mm-hmm. I think from some of the best business mentors that I've learned from, you know, uh, I, I guess two aspects. When, anytime that we're making a goal, in my opinion, a, a better effective goal is not focused around like what are the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> obviously, outcomes are generally part of the language of a goal, mm-hmm. um, and our goals need to be like realistic and within our control. Mm-hmm. But generally, when you look at like life-oriented things, what's in your control is not outcomes-based. So if you're trying to make goals for your personal life about like, I will have X amount of money by this time in my life, or Mm -hmm. I will have um, this car by this time in my life. A lot of the time, like, that's not actually the goal that's in your control. Mm -hmm. The goal that is in your control is on a daily basis, I'm going to learn X amount of things, Mm -hmm. um, which will lead me to this lifestyle that I'm looking for. Mm. So what's interesting is that um, like when I set goals, my goals generally tend to be not outcomes based, mm-hmm. but lifestyle based, which leads Ooh, to an objective that like I'm habit going forming. For. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I like that a lot. Which was, you know, going, trying to, trying to step back into the homestead, same thing with buying the homestead, right? Um, yes. Like we had the objective of, okay, we feel like we need to get land. We mm-hmm. feel like we need to buy this place. We don't even know what that is going to look like. Yeah. We have no idea about, we've never farmed before. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so it was kind of just like, well, I'm going to research these kinds of things. I'm going to start looking into it. Mm-hmm. And my objective is yes, like to get the home, mm-hmm. but my everyday objectives are just Building learning about it. the, pre- yeah. Like mm. let's start with Googling, like what is homesteading? Yeah. <laughs> Back to square one. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's an important part for, uh, for people to remember. Cause I mean, yeah, you can sit there and be like, okay, I'm only going to be successful if I have this many acres and I'm producing this many things and this, this, this. But at the end of the day, the more important goals are whatever you're establishing for yourself every day to keep mm-hmm. moving towards kind of the overall vision. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that in a much larger sense. And I think that's why homesteading has been so interesting to me because I think that by having more people homesteading or learning how to homestead and just like being able to cultivate an environment for themselves, we're just all moving. I would see us all moving in more of a direction of this kind of like autonomy community and like a more uh, realistic and um, uh, sustainable view of our resources and our, of our environment. So I guess one of my, one of my big questions for you is like, do you think more people should homestead? Do you think that this should be more of an accessible lifestyle to people? 
I think should, you know, should is always a hard question yeah. to answer yeah. on that regard, right? Um, We're going to force everyone to homestead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New mandate. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say, like, when we look, one, as, as attractive as homesteading is, mm-hmm. I think one thing to remember is that our forefathers moved away from this lifestyle for a reason. Mm. And part of that is simply like, if everyone was homesteading, mm-hmm. then we'd go back to the ages where 90% of your time is spent growing food mm-hmm. and you have 10% or maybe even less of your time to like do stuff you want to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Most of your time is going to be like in the field, getting like getting dirty mm-hmm. with animals and, and plants, right? Like, <laughs> Like you spent most of your work for the rest of your life because mm-hmm. you also can't build much. Um, I guess I'll use the term wealth. Like mm-hmm. you can't build a retirement farming. Mm. Even like whether the capitalist society, like all that aside, mm-hmm. you're generally only really able to produce enough for you and a few other families. Mm-hmm. And if everyone was doing that, even with the right structures in place, we wouldn't have amusement parks anymore. Mm-hmm there wouldn't be time for it. There mm-hmm. wouldn't be a need for it. Like, so a lot of the things that we enjoy about life would mm-hmm. go away. Yeah. So, you know, should everyone homestead? Maybe not, unless that's what we as a community decide we all want to go towards. Yeah. Now, um, let me bring up some other sites that though, the current average in America, the average age of someone that raises food for the rest of the 300 million people living in America mm-hmm. is 70 years old. Wow. So, let me talk about food crisis for a second. Yeah, please. In do. about ten years, we're gonna be losing the majority of our of our food creators in America. In America, mm-hmm. um, who's gonna take their place? Mm-hmm. I think that's one re- one like side of the equation that people are missing as we're kind of like um, rampaging is the wrong word. Like uh, protesting against yeah. factory farms. I, yeah. I, on an ethics basis, on a sustainability basis, on an like everything basis, I do not like the idea of factory farming mm-hmm. on a feeding the people basis. If we do not have more people go into homesteading and, or into agricultural or farming. into agricultural farming, which obviously can produce much more. Cause on a homestead basis, you really, like I said, you can only produce so much mm-hmm. when you're incorporating more modern techniques that would kind of put you more in the category of farming, mm-hmm. you know, then you can produce for hundreds, you know, thousands of people even. And so, um, on that side of the equation, it's like, well, in the next 10 years, who's going to fill these shoes? Mm-hmm. The, we're going to have to rely on factory farms because yeah. unless Unless and, within the next three years, more people make a change, yeah. you know. And I think uh, something to, important to bring up is that, yeah, if we if we do lose those food producers in America within the next 10 years, sort of the, the only solution that I know of or the only solution that I'm seeing being implemented right now is a global supply chain of agriculture where we're actually not actually doing any food production in the U.S. Like we'd actually move away from that and start essentially, you know, I, I feel stealing resources from other uh, countries in order to sustain ourselves, which I see as very, very, uh, very, very catastrophic. It's just mm-hmm. not going to be um, sustainable for us, for those countries, for the world. Yes. So I, I think that's a very important thing to bring up because, yeah, maybe um, factory farming isn't uh, ethical or isn't sustainable in, in many ways. 
but it needs to be it needs to be brought home in many mm-hmm. ways too. Um, it's it's been really sad to see in Utah how we're just selling off all of our farmland to build real estate instead, mm-hmm. you know, housing and uh, and apartments and things, um, because we're we're totally cutting off our ability to even provide for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what homesteading seems to be so valuable for me, or the value that homesteading brings for me, mm-hmm. is just the idea that people are becoming more connected with nature. They're becoming more connected with where their food comes from, so that they can actually have that knowledge and that skill set, so that like we just kind of raise the global consciousness. Yes, because I I wanted to real quick. Sorry. I wanted to speak to the idea that um, obviously homesteading probably shouldn't be for everybody or not necessarily, <laughs> you know, that should word like it just isn't going to be for everybody. There's definitely going to be people that it's just like, I have no interest in this. I'm not even good at it. I'm not even producing anything helpful for people. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But I, there's something so needed in what I think in the human experience to know how to work with nature, how to understand where our food and our resources come from so that we can actually be way more conscious of it and use it in a sustainable way. Yeah. Well, there's a lot you brought up that I kind of want to address, but (laughs) I think that to your, to your last point, to respond to that immediately, should everyone homestead? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Should everyone be connected to a homestead Mm. or to a farm like a local farm yeah 100 percent, i think so Mm. because you're talking about that global consciousness and kind of well i guess both global and individual like a societal consciousness of where does my food come from um i i I think for anyone listening to this podcast that has had personal experiences with hunting or with growing a garden with anything where they're actually connected to what they've consumed Mm. i think Anyone that's been involved in that will agree that um, it is an extremely valuable part of the human experience Mm. and will change. If you haven't, I invite you to find some way to get connected to that. It will change your your life and your perspective of life Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is. I don't want to use the word necessary, but I think I'm going to use the word necessary for like that is necessary to have a spiritual fulfillment of like your identity Mm. i think that you're actually missing a big part of your identity if you don't um feel connected to what you're literally living on yeah and putting in your body um it am i okay to get a tiny bit religious please do honestly uh, i want to like i'll clarify this for you because like with the kindness rebellion i have no I am not trying to shy away from spirituality or religion mm. in any way where like, despite my personal experiences with the LDS church, I do value spirituality in so many aspects. Mm. And I, I, I actually very much resonate with what you're saying about how knowing where your food comes from, knowing how the environment and nature works is a very fundamental part of the human experience that is being delocated. That is being totally. deracinated completely. So yeah. sorry, go on. Yeah. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, the spirituality, religion, are, I think mm-hmm. like two different discussions, right? But yeah, um, the I think in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints we have something that you know for anyone that doesn't know is, is something called the Word of Wisdom, mm-hmm. and something that I think is forgotten or I, maybe I shouldn't even say forgotten. I don't know if it was ever kind of perceived this way, but the interesting thing is if you're actually reading the reason why God gave the Word of Wisdom, it doesn't say for your health. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say which is like the common belief of of people both outside and inside the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, this is a guideline for you to be healthy. The fascinating thing to me is that the reason, uh, you know, if you believe that this was given by God, the reason why that God gives himself is, um, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but basically like because of the designs of like corrupted men that's going to come out 
later on in life. Mm -hmm. I give you this word of wisdom um, so that we can avoid some of those problems. Mm. Well, let's talk about, you know, there's a, a lot of people know from the word of wisdom that, that members of the church don't smoke, don't drink alcohol, stuff like that. But let's talk about what we're talking about right now with homesteading. The, tr the word of wisdom encompasses like eat meat sparingly. Mm -hmm. If you eat it, eat meat, eat meat sparingly and only like really in times of famine or like when you need it. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, um, grow crops locally in their season, mm. like eat things in their season. And, and, uh, and going back to what you're talking about with the global supply chain, let me talk about the implications of, I, of what I think actually this word of wisdom was trying to forewarn us about. Mm -hmm. um, again, being religious and kind of spiritually, God loves all of his children. Mm -hmm. um, when one nation comes in, and says we're going to t to turn your nation into the food provider for our nation. Mm. We're not going to pay you. Yeah, we're or going we'll pay to you the very minimum. Or pay you the minimum. We're going to destroy your whole lifestyle. Mm. And essentially, the consequences of this make it. I'm not going to say impossible, but extremely difficult for a nation to grow beyond what kind of the income that we set for that nation. Mm. And I think that again, it, the word of wisdom has some. We we you know we continue to learn that there are there are health benefits to living the word of wisdom, mm -hmm. but going back to that idea that it wasn't given for that reason, part of me, at least my like for me, I believe that part of that was to minimize and avoid what we're doing now with global supply chain, mm. to say because imagine if we lived if the whole nation lived by the word of wisdom, yeah, and we all only ate foods that were grown in their season, mm -hmm. that means we don't have bananas. Yeah. Like the, the produce section of the grocery store, 90% of that would not be there yeah. most of the time yeah. for us here in Utah. Mm -hmm. And which you look at the backlog of where did that food come from? Mm -hmm. How what many people are being, un, you know, yeah, exploited, screwed over, exploited yeah, by that? From. How many of God's children could have so much better lifestyles or at least have the mm. opportunity for those lifestyles, whether they, you know, whether they kind of did it themselves or not, but would have the, at least the opportunity um, had those, had the demands for supply chain not been instated. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's for me, you know, I think that on a global perspective, there's two ways to go. Mm -hmm. And these are kind of extremes, right? Of course, there's everything in between, but mm -hmm. on the two extremes, yes, we go the aspect of what you're saying. We take a small number of people percentage-wise worldwide mm -hmm. um, and have them grow the food for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And in order to make that happen, we'd have to be using systems and structures and for affordability's sake, probably payment structures that would not make the life very desirable for that small group of people. Yeah. So that the masses could pursue their dreams, right? Mm -hmm. Like live the... Um, uh, I know that like American dream is kind of a term that isn't super positive anymore in this yeah, context, but like, bastardized. Yeah, yeah, but like, but I guess going to the sense of like live in a society where they don't have to worry about food, they can have whatever mm. other career they want. Mm -hmm. Or we could go to like the opposite spectrum, which is what we mentioned earlier of like everyone just farms. Mm -hmm. And then that puts us back into like the, you know, sort of regressive. Yeah, in a way. pretty regressive, yeah. you know. As with most things, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle yeah. where 
sure supply chain is a thing but it's more localized mm. right we have producers in most communities mm -hmm. sure we can let silicon slopes be a thing mm -hmm. that's an industry i'm very tied into you, you know mm -hmm. and, and and um yeah we can have a lot of growth we can have cities but right outside those cities we have lots of homesteaders lots of farmers that are able to locally supply food mm -hmm. um in a way that the people within the cities can still be very connected to. Yeah. They can on weekends, if they want, can be going out and participating mm. um, in, in a lot of that food production. Um, and stuff like that actually makes things more economical. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't have to ship things across the world. We're just mm -hmm. shipping it 10 miles. Yeah. So there, so this is, this is actually something I kind of wanted to get your opinion on and feedback is just like, um, you know, cause the main reason that we have a global supply chain and that we have this centralized supply chain where we are just, you know, having this very small concentrated area, pretty, well, pretty much just the global South that we're just taking all of their, you know, food production and mm -hmm. resources from, um, with, by having all of that, decentralizing that too, like what you're saying where our supply chains are more local so there's like a localization of our supply chains and um the main reason that i see that not occurring right now is the monetary system is our uh, main economic system of capitalism but uh then there's this other uh, alternative that i've been exploring with uh kind of my work my volunteer work with the moneyless society of a resource-based economy mm -hmm. which is it seeks to you know essentially get rid of the monetary system so that our resources and our relationship to our resources within our economy is focused solely on the resources within our like, decentralized localized area um, and I know that you're pretty much only getting unless you've heard of it before you're pretty much only getting what I just barely told you about it from mm -hmm. it but I, I'm curious how, if that's kind of the the vision the middle way that you're kind of seeing is it would it have to be something where it's like it's actually uh, more efficient in an ec ecological standpoint to have more of a localized supply chain um, than it would be uh, to have a global supply chain with a centralized uh, concentrated group of uh producers right mm -hmm. because the only reason we really do that right now is because it's economically more efficient or in a monetary way yeah well in my opinion you know i'm not i am not uh, an expert in this area at all and i don't watch where the money flows too mm -hmm. well in this area especially when i work in tech and supply chain is kind of far from me yeah um but like in my opinion i think from what i see that we're going to see <clears throat> a similar shift is what happened in like the late, I might get my decades wrong, but like mm -hmm. late 80s, 90s area where for a long time, the funny thing is, is that in business, there was this shift from mentality that kind of started a lot in Japan mm -hmm. um, of like the cheaper we build things, the more money we're going to save. So the mm -hmm. better our profits are going to be. Mm -hmm. What's funny is that that we did that for a long time. Like that was like the business mentality of like, if you're going to be a value company, make things cheap. Mm. What's interesting is that we started to find that like that was not the case. The more qual like the better quality material we used, the less our machines broke down, mm. the less returns we had and returns are costly for a business. Mm -hmm. um, like it said like it just went on down the line of like building quality products was actually more profitable even if you're trying to be like the maybe I shouldn't mention a brand but like the like value <laughs> brand of anything. Yeah. Like that building quality products was actually more profitable most of the time. Hmm. And I think just that in we're a long, going, in a very long term sense, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes not even super long term, sometimes mm -hmm. like on a quarter wow. long term ish, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. um, depending on, again, the product in the industry, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. 
um, especially just, there's just kind of that, well, yeah, that's going to take me on a different tangent, but, <laughs> and I think that we're going to see a similar mindset shift, um, as, and honestly, we're, we're already seeing it. Um, I'll talk maybe a little briefly on this is just COVID of course, disrupted a lot of global supply chain. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but Volkswagen, um, in immediate and quick response, as they kind of saw that that was going to be happening, they shut down a lot of their global supply chain uh, processes, mm. and they localized fast. Wow. Now, did they take a that that took a ton of probably capital of capital they had to invest in it because it was like we need manufacturing plants now. Like, let's not do this the cheap way. We just got to start buying and buying and buying so that we can supply cars. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that. Um, uh, that gave them an advantage. You know, everyone talks about how Ford and GM and all mm -hmm. these other companies have had all these problems because of supply chain issues during mm -hmm. COVID. Yes, Volkswagen was impacted, mm -hmm. but not nearly to the margin that these other manufacturers were. Mm -hmm. And the global supply chain, anytime that you add more pieces, mm -hmm. which is what global supply chain is doing, you know, you're adding more pieces, you get a, a more and more sensitive product, mm. right? You get something that's, one cog stops working and that could break Maybe everything. Boom. Yeah. So, um, I think for a lot of reasons, uh, companies are going to start shifting. And I think that COVID-19 was, uh, the pandemic was a catalyst for Volkswagen and it, and it may be for a lot of other companies that mm -hmm. are in similar boats are going to start saying that was scary. Yeah. Like we went from X dollars to this and it was literally just because this one supplier couldn't supply mm -hmm. we should maybe do something to prevent that from happening again which mm -hmm. the answer is going to be we need to have more suppliers mm -hmm. in more places um and and yeah in the long run i think that if things are done right um we'll see that that works better mm -hmm. uh, like that the bottom line even improves mm. um you know unfortunately one of the main pushes mm -hmm. for globalized supply chain is unfortunately exploitation yeah um is the fact that someone else's economy is in a worse shape than ours mm -hmm. so we can pay a lot less mm -hmm. to get a similar product and get a much more profit off of it in yes. this market but again what's fascinating about that is that as Again, I, and maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of walk on glass here a little bit because mm -hmm. this does definitely go out of my expertise. It, yeah. um, but like, I, we've seen examples of when bringing things home, and and so actually I won't even bring up reasons because I don't know reasons. Mm -hmm. But we've seen examples where companies chose to bring things closer mm -hmm. instead to localize their supply chain. To localize their supply chain, whether you know even if they're a global company mm -hmm. that they set up more more places. And it worked out for them uh, better than their competitors did. Mm. Um, you know, why that is, like I said, I'm not the expert on that. Uh, some of it might just come down to assets. Mm -hmm. They act, you know, I, I don't know. But um, but, but it has, you know, and Tesla is one of those examples mm -hmm. uh, of someone who has chosen to keep things as close as possible. Yes, they launched with, you know, with using China as much as possible, mm -hmm. um, which, cause again, I think it's cheaper up front. Mm -hmm. but as they've had profits to put into localizing, they've done it. 
and it's working out for them. They just realize that it's more reliable and more su- more sustainable in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting tangent that we could go on here because <laughs> uh, I mean you know we started with homesteading and now we're at like a global supply <laughs> chain and <laughs> global capitalism and uh, I think I think the reason that it, it's also tied in and meshed together for me is because um, I wonder really how much we can. Uh, make the big changes that we need in in terms of like fighting climate change um, with a for-profit system and uh, even if we are kind of even if uh, I'm not you know I'm also not an expert and I'm also not watching the trends I'm not seeing if like oh yeah overall more companies are moving towards a a localized supply chain they're kind of removing Mm -hmm. the whole global supply chain Um, but I I wonder if even if we did do that, if we did localize our supply chain, how much would a for-profit system actually still benefit us? Because it's sort of, in my eyes, it relies on the exploitative and the extractive mm-hmm. nature of um, of that entire process. And most specifically, just like a disregard for nature, which is definitely what we do not need in terms of fighting climate change. Totally. Right? And, and that's why homesteading has just been so interesting to me because, like you said, it's... it's um, it's about having having more uh, producers or more farmers within communities and, mm-hmm. and having uh, people being able to produce for each other and just kind of building a closer net of communities rather than like the community being a, a collection of businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess where I'm really going with that is it can homesteading be sort of part of that transition of just getting people more activated in supplying what humans actually need. So in our current, um, if, you know, if things stayed in a capitalist society as things are now, Mm -hmm. like here, if we're talking like here in the United States, um, I think that the honest truth is that unless people are willing to pay more for their food, it cannot. Mm. Um, So I posted an Instagram post a little bit ago outlining a little bit of why we have to charge so much for, I shouldn't say this because, well, (laughs) but I posted an Instagram post a little (laughs) bit ago that outlines a little bit of like costs of pigs Mm -hmm. um, and pig meat. Um, And uh, one of the, it's sad, but like... um, the prices that you pay at the grocery store, we have to remember, are government-subsidized prices. Mm. And that's one aspect. And uh, on top of being government-subsidized prices, they're also prices that are because, you know, uh, well, for a lot of reasons, um, we're willing to stomp on nature to lower uh, lower cost. Lower cost. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting, and I will bring up here that, like, the food industry has been an interesting industry, and I think a, a lot of industries are this way, um, that like, it's not like they're lowering cost just to make more money. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're lowering cost simply because no one's willing to pay what they need to charge for their product. Yeah, The food industry is that way. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to pay like actual cost of meat without government subsidies, without... Uh, uh, exploitative or ex- like unethical measures unethical measures etc um and and maybe i'll just walk through that really quick with pigs so pigs i i kind of i i like to use this term because it's a little shocking Mm -hmm. but like we use toddler slaughter for pigs Mm. um we slaughter toddlers right so pigs (laughs) pigs are they don't reach maturity or or you you might say adolescence they don't really reach adolescence until like nine to twelve months depending on the breed Mm -hmm. um 
yet we slaughter at six months. Mm. Um, right. So these are like equivalent to like a human six, seven, eight year old. Wow. Right. Or, or, or probably even younger. Mm-hmm. Um, toddler slaughter, toddler slaughter. Right. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. And so, and we do that simply because the cost of feed. Uh, so mm. like for my pigs right now, um, it costs me, uh, I should, I should have maybe done this math before, but they, they eat seven pounds of food each mm. per day. Wow. Um, and so seven pounds per day each. And if I'm having, you know, if I wanted to be ethical and raise them to full adulthood, that's going to be like literally hundreds of dollars per pig more expensive than if I slaughtered them at six months. Wow. Now, and, and the growth rate, like by the time that they reach six months, they're still a pretty big pig. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're going to grow bigger. I mean, mm-hmm. you so you got to walk outside and see my pigs. Yeah, they're the, wonderful. Yeah, the, the smaller <laughs> ones that you saw are about 13 months. Oh, wow, okay. And they've been kind of the same size since six months. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they've grown, but probably only by like 50, 60 pounds. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's like much more cost effective mm-hmm. to slaughter a six-month-old pig. And that's how we get two, three, four dollar per pound uh, prices at the store. Wow. If I let my pigs, um, I guess I shouldn't say if because I do. Mm-hmm. Um, since I let my pigs uh, grow to be 24, 25, 26 months, right? So mo- like so more than two years, they've all had litters. They've all had the opportunity to reproduce. Mm-hmm. They've all had the opportunity to raise another generation of piglets. Like they've mm-hmm. done everything a pig can kind of do in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to sell their meat for at least like just if I just breaking even mm-hmm. this is let alone electricity costs and, and water costs and stuff like that. Like just for feed, I have to, I would have to charge $11 per pound Whoa! for compared the average to, pig compared to what, what did you say? Two or $3 yeah, per compared pound? to like two to $3 per pound. Holy shit. So here's the question, right? For the listeners on this podcast, like, are you willing to pay $11 per pound for your food? Mm. If the answer is no, then um, we have a lot of problems before we're going to have more homesteaders mm. because homesteaders can't or, or farmers in general are not going to be able to sell their food to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, let's talk uh, corn, for example, corn is only as cheap as it is. The reason why we use it in everything is because the government pays like 99% of the cost. Yeah. And the person buying the corn only has to pay that 1%. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I might be exaggerating my numbers. I don't know the actual I've, I've percentages. It's, it's something insane. But like it's that. something yeah. insane. You know, government subsidies are all over the board with agriculture mm-hmm. because of those problems of the fact that, like, we don't have very many people making our food. Mm-hmm. The government needs to, inc- and it's not a profitable business. Mm-hmm. So they need to incentivize um, and need my, you know, depending on your political opinions might be the wrong word, but. The, the fact of the matter is we have government subsidies so that we can all go to the grocery store and afford food at the prices we're used to. Mm. Um, if we're all willing to times our food expense by 11, that's wow. well, or by six or so, right? Mm-hmm. Then yeah, absolutely. We can have more people homesteading and, and, yeah. and rate and doing agriculture. If we're not, um, things need to change. Yeah. Whether that's, uh, you know, a, a huge societal, like no more, like, overthrowing capitalism completely and finding mm-hmm. some other solution like whether it's a big change or a series of small changes something something has to change mm-hmm. i think um one thing that's been really important about kind of just that experience that you outlined and just kind of looking at ways of transitioning to a better society and a more sustainable living and things like that is just understanding that 
there with any meaningful change, any meaningful systemic change, there's going to have to be sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, when we ask somebody, are you willing to pay more for food? They're going to be like, no way. Existence is already way too expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and you can't really blame anyone for that, right? Like it just makes sense. It's like, oh yeah, if I'm barely scraping by to afford, uh, to pay for, you know, existence to pay for my food. Um, of course it's going to be hard to say, well, if you want to have a better world and like more sustainable living and more, uh, you know, you're supporting localized economies, uh, you're going to have to pay like five times the amount for your food. Um, but the way that I see it and this, the way that we need to understand this situation and understand the way that we can make changes is through sacrifice definitely, but also changing what our priorities are. You know, because like the sacrifices that I think we're going to have to make are going to be like, yeah, we're going to have to spend most of our money on food, um, which makes sense because, you know, we need food to survive. We need Mm -hmm. food to exist. Uh, Yeah, we're going to have to spend more money on, you know, maybe our the way that we construct and build our houses to make sure it's more sustainable, to make sure it's more localized things like it's just about identifying our basic necessities and making sure that we can actually be focusing on those. And I, I don't really like the idea that um, any systemic change has to be like like all individual based, like, oh, we got to make sure to vote with our dollars or whatever <laughs> it is, you know. Um, but it like that has to be a part of the equation. It's a part of point. the equation. Absolutely. It, it has to be at some point. Mm-hmm. So the way that I see it is like we just need to be willing to understand that we we need to change our priorities because right now I think the things that we are willing to spend more on is sort of like our vices in a way mm-hmm. like our distractions the things that just make us feel like um, less anxious or less depressed all the time yes <laughs> <laughs> all of this shit right <laughs> and it's like and that's that's the things that we're willing to spend more money on yep. when it really should be the things that are necessary for our survival necessary for you know sustaining the environment and the uh, the ecology of our mm-hmm. environment um, because if we can just make those changes then um, and allow ourselves to you know take that added expense and sacrifice all the other shit yeah then we're gonna be more um, we're going to open up more avenues for innovation in those yes. areas we're gonna find out ways to make it more affordable more easy to exist that way and then we're gonna start building towards make like making it more accessible and easy to use and then um, and then we can start branching out from there and def- and develop new interests and new ways of you know of uh, coping with just the struggles of existence yes. the struggles of life well and let's be honest like in Honestly, um, even in the society that we have now, which, you know, we talked a little bit beforehand about kind of our beliefs in this, and, and I might, you know, bring up a little bit here, right? But as I say this, we'll see what comes out of my mouth. But, like, <laughs> um, even in the society that we have, uh, for most people, if they were in their 30s and up, and, and this actually was the case for my, you know, because when I made that Instagram post, mm-hmm. I, I had a poll at the end that just said, like, would you pay $11 a pound for meat if you knew that that pig had, like, lived a full life? Mm-hmm. And what I noticed was, you know, uh, really the equation, like, the actual answer is, like, people that had the money to spend more mm-hmm. said yes. Yeah. And those that didn't said no. Yeah. Which is not something to blame, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, to break that down another second further generally this wasn't 100 percent true but generally it was also an age gap mm. because the people that had money to spend were 30s and up mm-hmm. and you know they were out of college they actually had like not to demean other people's jobs yeah, but like, like careers they had real careers mm-hmm. um and they were 
established in a way that like like they probably weren't paying rent they were probably paying a mortgage mm. they were 10 years further in life so they had it's like yeah i can spend an extra like three four hundred dollars on food mm-hmm. and i would feel like for me to feel good about it yeah um so i think most people like want those priorities a lot of it is like you know and this goes into a lot of like other things that I, I think about um, our relationship with our current economy. Um, it is fascinating to me that the American culture has made young people feel so alone. Mm. Um, like in most cultures, you it's not like you were tur- like you turned 18 and were kicked out of the house. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, son, like you're entering your adulthood. Um, there's going to be some hard things and like, I'm here, mm-hmm. like I've had my 50 years of building up my wealth and like, let me help you get started. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that like parents should be paying for all their kids stuff. In fact, I, I, I don't agree with that, you know, very much, but like, but that, that help is there, mm-hmm. you know, that like safety net, that safety net, you know, let me, let me be the co-signer on your home, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe I won't even put much down on it but let me be the co-signer at least so you can at least get a loan, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's, it's interesting to me that, um, I think that even without a big massive change in our economy and, 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 and in our, our, our structure, um, I think that a lot of these things are possible mm-hmm. with going, you know, with kindness yeah, and with a bigger sense of like, let's, um, let's realistically look at the problems. And I, I have not, I, I love old people. And mm-hmm. I think that actually one of the problems is that we're creating this gap, like this almost like, uh, this almost like hatred between young people and old people. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like a general generational gap and like a warfare. Absolutely. Yeah. And certainly we think differently. Certainly mm-hmm. there's, you know, and there's, there's, um, you know, things that have kind of led up to that. But like, if we could actually come together and say, Hey, your wealth is what could bring up the younger generation to succeed better. Mm-hmm not saying you should start like just dumping your wealth on people Mm -hmm. and and not just wealth in, in, you know, in finances, but also in in knowledge and kind of what they've learned over the years. Right. But like it's more greater connection is what makes a lot of this possible. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm lucky enough that I got to live kind of that experience. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's an aspect of how we've been able to afford a lot of what we've been able to do now. Um, is through outside support, some mm-hmm. from parents, some from friends that just happen to be in a much better financial situation than we were in when we when we started needing to do this. Um, but through finding win-win situations where they had cash, I had other resources that I could provide, mm-hmm. and we were able to make um, win-win scenarios where we, you know, this was able to be a thing. Awesome. So you know. I guess anyway, I, going back to the point is that like, will people, can people afford this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, usually later on in life. Yeah. Who tends to be the ones that want to start a homestead? Like right now, at least the, the, the kind of, if we use the word trend, the trend mm-hmm. is kind of like more people our age, you yeah. know, in their twenties. Um, maybe just recognize that like, your friend group are probably not your target customers mm-hmm. because you're going to have to honestly, if you want a homestead, like honestly, don't expect to charge the prices in the grocery store. Don't try and compete. Go to your rich friends and your older friends that can't afford your stuff mm-hmm. and say, hey, 
I'm charging 10 times more than what you could get at the grocery store, but here's why. Yeah. And when you explain why, most of them are going to say, oh my gosh, I don't want to buy toddler slaughter meat anymore. (laughs) I would rather spend double, triple, quadruple to just have, you know, to feel good about what I'm eating now that you've informed me. And to be more connected with your community, with the people that you are working with and the uh, the ecology and the nature that you are actually, uh, you know, consuming and mm-hmm. taking from and and i don't want to say that in like a very like negative way because like like we said earlier you have to take from nature we we, ha- we are nature mm-hmm. we're continuously working with it in tandem with it nature and, gives and takes yeah it does nat- i mean and and i'll be you know honestly the way that we slaughter animals even in some of the most cruel ways is way better than if that animal is being slaughtered by a wolf. Mm. You know, just being wolf, honest. That wolf does not give a <laughs> shit about its feelings. <laughs> it does not. And it will eat that thing alive, you know? So, like, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to support the fact that we don't take care of those things. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to say that nature gives and takes. Mm-hmm. We have the, you know, we have the consciousness and ability to treat that as carefully as we can. Mm. And I think we should. Definitely. But should we make that the determiner of whether or not we, you know, um, we survive? Yeah, or access our food. You know, yeah, we could go to, you know, the furthest extreme would be, oh, I don't want to harm anything. You're going to starve to death Mm -hmm. is the unfortunate truth. Yeah, it is. Um, You know, and so, you know, I I have like a Buddhist background. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, there's kind of a different thing for you on that. But if you're going to survive even as a Buddhist, you cause some harm. Yeah. And that's why it's about minimal harm, not yeah. zero harm. And I, I think one of the one of the really important things that uh, we've been talking about is just the way that you're maybe you're minimizing, you're trying your best to minimize harm in a certain way. Like you, we just understand like, hey, um, there's this local resource. Let's say it's pigs. Um and we we all are relying on it to survive we want to minimize harm there because we do see it as such a an important part of sustaining ourselves but i think what we also need to just pay attention to is the what you brought up where you know kind of creating that generational solidarity and like those communities that are all just kind of holding this shared vision this shared why of like how we're getting our resources and why we're doing it this way is going to it's just going to ripple out and change so much because that, that fundamental basis of we're trying, like we're trying to provide resources to everyone under the, uh, under the impression that we believe that everyone deserves to live. We believe that everyone deserves to have access to this. And the only way to do it right now is by increasing costs here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and if you start acting and operating on under that premise of just kindness, community and understanding, like it's just, we're going to, like I said earlier, we're going to build more innovative ways to minimize harm. We're going to build more innovative ways to, um, increase happiness, increase the resources that we have for people because we're more focused on that than the bottom line of profit. And that is going to be the main thing. Cause, and, and I like, I just want to drive that home, like that, (laughs) that sacrifice in order to start moving in the right direction, knowing that maybe we won't find the solutions that will make everything better in our lifetime, but we're going to be planting the seed that our children mm-hmm. and our further generations will be eating from. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is that generational solidarity and that generational cooperation that yeah, you're talking about. Totally. And I, I mean, I feel like, you know, in my opinion, that's when profit has to be involved, right? Like that word, we can do that effectively um, with just responsible, I, I just like to say responsible capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, 
I, I totally think that every economic structure is just a tool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I told you this earlier that essentially, right, like capitalism absolutely is the best growth tool there is. Mm-hmm. And when a community comes together and says, we need to grow fast, like we need to grow wealth fast. And let's be honest, that's what our founding fathers were concerned about. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it even shows in something as, as artistic as the play Alexander Hamilton, right? Like mm-hmm. what was his focus? We need to get out of debt. Like the financial situation of the United States is a mess and we need to create wealth. Mm-hmm. So was capitalism the right structure to create wealth? Absolutely. Um, and, and even in my personal opinion, if it had retained its responsibility, mm. we'd be in a totally different place than we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of besides the point. And, and, you know, every every economic structure, I guess all I wanted to say with that is like every economic structure has its purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, although capitalism can create great wealth, it doesn't incentivize very well the spreading of that wealth, mm. which is kind of the, you know, that's, that's the downside. Um, and if we want to change our focus to spreading wealth, then I think a different structure might be mm-hmm. uh, more effective. But... Um, responsibility, because I think of the principle of of sacrifice, responsibility means you don't have to be incentivized to do something. Mm. And so that's why, like, in my opinion, I say we don't even have to go through a huge structural change. We could even, if we wanted, retain our capitalist society. And now this is harder to do. It's actually easier, in my opinion, to change the society than than it is to just say, okay, everyone be responsible. <laughs> but like, but technically, if we were all responsible and we weren't needing to be incentivized to spread our wealth, mm-hmm. it would be extremely, you know, companies do this, responsible companies do this all the time. Um, you know, should we increase profits or treat our employees better? How about we treat our employees better? Mm-hmm. You know, should we increase profits or make crappier quality products? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it all the time companies choose we're going to do the right thing here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they choose to do the right thing in one area and not other areas. Mm-hmm. And, and bringing this back to like um, the, you know, this whole concept of farming and, and, and where our food comes from. Um, absolutely. You know, if we want to avoid kind of that food crisis that I think is with just the age of, of the average farmer in America mm-hmm. that I think is coming, if we want to avoid that within the next two to three years, we need to have more people that say, am I willing to sacrifice my 200K, 300K, 400K possible income down this career path mm-hmm. for a 80, 90K rest of my probable life mm-hmm. um, in order to supply food for a somewhat local community mm-hmm. of people that can afford food prices that are also kind of in the same boat with me that are willing to increase their expenses so that they can have food that's locally grown. Mm -hmm. And, um, and on every side of that equation, is it going to work? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do farmers markets exist? Yes. Evidence that it will work. Do people like spend that much on food? 100%. -hmm. Yes. The, The question is, um, can you, and this is, you know, a problem with business all the time. Can you convince people that it's worth them paying more. Yeah. Can you get that solidarity? 
mm-hmm. which which is like which is really what I'm trying to advocate for in the kindness rebellion is building a new vision for humanity and building that new solidarity that everyone can have individual responsibility for to make sure that we're actually moving in that direction. And the reason that I am so outspoken against capitalism specifically is because I think that the fundamental vision and the fundamental idea of capitalism is exploitation is mm-hmm. profit because at the bottom the bottom line is what capitalism functions under it's always make sure that you are putting in as little as possible and getting as most of it out and yes you can have um nuance within that you can have mm-hmm. human beings that understand <laughs> oh i have workers that are responsible for creating this wealth i need to treat them well but on my problem and like I'm getting a little off tangent here. But, um, so yes, there can be those businesses that understand that, that understand, oh, wait, this is actually a very um, fragile, interdependent system of mm-hmm. other beings, not just the profit incentive, not just economic incentives. But the problem is, is that at the end of the day, they rely on that fundamental motivation. They rely on the fundamental motivation of profit because it's not as simple as just like, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, profit's there, but you know, we can focus on other things. It's like if you took out the profit incentive, the entire structure would collapse. Mm-hmm. It has no way of sustaining itself. So the thing that I'm, I've been so interested in is understanding, is it even possible to get rid of the profit incentive? Maybe it's not, but I think in by removing money, as the system of like generating that wealth that you're talking about, that growth that mm-hmm. you're talking about, which is what has been so valuable um, for capitalism and with capitalism. Um, I wonder if we can just change the measurements of our success. If we mm-hmm. can change the idea of like, what is actually going to be creating more wealth? What is creating more value in our community? Is it just money? I'd argue that maybe it's not because money is a, it's a false resource. It's a, it's a very arbitrary thing. You can't eat money, Mm -hmm. you know, but if we decided, Hey, we're going to, we're going to operate under this profit incentive, uh, in order to achieve growth. But the growth that we're achieving is everybody gets food. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to have enough food to survive. Holy shit. I think like, things will change so dramatically and obviously we can't just immediately go all right money's out of the equation because it's pretty (laughs) embedded in our society but i think that's where that sacrifice that we're talking about is going to come from it's Mm going to say you know what money is the false resource right now it's yeah it's ruling all of us it's it's like it's honestly this uh this crippling hand in my opinion but if we say we're going to start taking that monetary resource to build actual resources to make sure that everybody in our community is fed I think I think it's going to change so much. Yeah. Um, the difficult thing, in my opinion, is that that's a mentality. Uh, if it's a systematic change, mm-hmm. then I think people will quickly turn back to to, to currency mm. because the downside, you know, the downside to anything where the actual resource is the value mm-hmm. is it's it's you know there's it's reason subjective. It's well, there's a reason we turn to currency, and that's mm-hmm. so that if if I want your hat and you want you know, something I'm not willing to give up or something I don't have, mm-hmm. I have no way to get your hat. Yeah. Um, and, but I could always incentivize you with, but what do you want? $50 that mm-hmm. could like buy you whatever you whatever do you want. You want. Mm-hmm. So that's like the benefit of like, like we, yeah. we all know this, right? Mm-hmm. The difficult. So that's all I'm saying is like the difficult thing is that if you try and change this systematically, then the only system to change, to remove money is to remove money, mm-hmm. which then becomes like, now we have a trade issue. Mm-hmm. But if we can remove money as a resource in a emotional basis, mm. right? Where it's like, which is really just a values thing. Yeah. If it's just like a, you know, we, 
yes, we have a currency, but it's not the currency that I value. Mm. It's what I can access with that currency. Well, and hopefully not access Mm -hmm. because that's, I feel like that's, you know, kind of what you're saying. Like that's what drives capitalism. Like Mm -hmm. what can I get out of this Mm. is like, that's the definition of profit. Yeah, it is. Um, If we can change the mentality to what can maybe give is the wrong word, but like, what can I produce that benefit? What value can I add is maybe Mm. the best way to say What value can I add with this? That's in my opinion, like, that's the mindset shift. That's that has to be the mindset shift because, like I said, a systematic change becomes problematic on a trade perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but a mentality shift is, in in many ways, harder to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But if we can accomplish it, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if we use what. It doesn't matter what currency we use or anything, or if anything, or if anything. Mm-hmm. That's kind of you know the end all be all of like well if all if we're all just focused on creating value mm, for each other yeah then it, then it's game over for the world like, yeah. <laughs> like in a good way or a bad way in a good way you know <laughs> like it's as in like there doesn't need to be any more games of mine and yours you yeah. know it's all just about well you know how can we build together yeah and like and uh, i'm kind of plugging the moneyless society a lot because I, I really value what the work that they're doing but um i i really like that you pointed that out because you're right it is there's going to be hella logistical issues with trying mm-hmm. to do a systems change especially with the monetary system um but i think the the idea that you're talking about where it's creating a mindset shift where everybody is moving towards a new vision of now we're just trying to make sure that everyone's taken care of we're trying to make sure that everyone can lead fulfilling lives and then defining that in new ways that isn't fully founded on profit and exploitation and selfishness and greed Mm -hmm. um, but through what i think is understanding love and kindness um then we're gonna we're at it's just going to point us in a direction where honestly money will probably become obsolete. Yeah. Yeah, It has its, it has its value to us now and it has its, um, its, uh, function within our society. But if we started moving in this whole new direction with the technology that we're developing with the technology that we're building, if it's all centered around the idea of maximizing well-being and helping people, Mm -hmm. then it's, I honestly believe that it's going to be really easy to obsolete money. It's going to be easy to, to make sure that that's not what we're fundamentally focusing on anymore. when there's not need there's no need for money yeah that's that's kind of like the ultimate issue because if there's not a need for trade where i have to convince you to sell me your hat like (laughs) so that you can live or something yeah (laughs) like if it's if it really is and that's you know again i guess kind of bringing christianity a little bit into this like i don't think i think you'd have to take a pretty far stretch to read any uh christian canon whether it's the bible you know whatever it might be and imagine to yourself that the structure of heaven is capitalism <laughs> like yeah I, you, that's a pretty far stretch yeah yeah um <laughs> if you believe that and um so i think like it, you know me being a christian obviously like i in no means do I think that capitalism should ever be the end goal. Mm. Um, you know, like I've talked about, do I think it's a tool that is useful? Mm-hmm. I think it's a tool that is useful. Yeah. The same way that I think socialism, communism, you know, any economic structure, um, which which I understand, some, you know, some things I mentioned aren't necessarily economic structures, but mm-hmm. like that any of those mindsets or societal rules are all tools to accomplish, um, to accomplish a something, goal. a goal, mm-hmm. right? And when a society is at a place that there no longer needs to be a convincing of you have something I want Mm -hmm. and I want it. um, 
and trade is more focused on our needs are met. Mm. What you have these skills and I have these resources. What can we build together? Like, in my opinion, I think uh, the United States on a resource level is not too far from that. Mm. Now, sir, I think the I think as a people, we're far from that. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think on a resource level, we're very far from being able, if there was good enough distribution, mm-hmm. to be able to say um, our skills are actually the highest value that we have. Mm. And the and the resources are the highest value that we have to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. How can we combine our skills and our resources that we've had thanks to thanks to a massive amount of education, you know, just the privileges that we have living here in the United States. Mm-hmm. How can we use those resources to benefit the rest of the world? Yeah. And if there was like this ideal situation where one day everyone in the United States was more focused on that, I, I think you're right. Like, I think that we wouldn't need money because our focus wouldn't be about like, hey, I want that television set. Who's going to sell it to me? Mm-hmm. Our focus would be on, hey, I want this struggling society that we know about to stop struggling. Yeah. Um, how are we going to do that together? Mm-hmm. My needs are met. All of your needs are met. Everyone's needs here are met. Mm-hmm. How are we going? You know, we're all going to survive. How are we going to help them survive? Yeah then yeah, like money becomes, or any form of trade becomes almost a non-issue. Yeah. Because every there's no, you know, there when there's no need or no want, um, as far as like material want, mm-hmm. then trade isn't a thing. Yeah. And I honestly love how you frame capitalism as a tool or just any economic system as a tool, um, because you're right. It is just kind of, it's giving us access to what we want. And mm-hmm. I think, I think my main problem with capitalism at this time or at this rendition, this you know, <laughs> mutation <laughs> this of rendition it of your, yeah, your is, is just that it is, it's founded on you give what like we'll provide whatever's wanted and we're continually having a a positive feedback loop of giving people the things that are actually like killing them like Mm -hmm. a tv like this like our screens like um like just really shitty foods and things like that and making sure that it's done in a way that's profitable but if we can if we can actually build systems and this is where i really think that systems change is needed is if we can build economic systems that um are providing the needs and um and then the wants then we're going to be a lot better off and if we focus way more on the needs and making sure that everybody has those needs then um yeah like you said we're just going to have a much better interaction between our skills and um and our and our wants mm-hmm. yeah so I, really no, I, I i don't think there's any doubt about that mm-hmm. yeah. it's just a matter of how to how the hell do we get there yeah um and you know i think uh, just to bring it all back to back back to the beginning i think um homesteading or just the entire process of reintegrating ourselves with um how we evolved like our nature and understanding where our food comes from understanding our environment so that we know the actual resources that we do have here um is going to be a big part of that it's about raising that global consciousness and uh and being able to then say okay this is where we're at this is the really amazing technologies and systems that we've developed, but we want to now gear it in a new way that's um, focused on sustainability and yeah. kindness. Yeah, which, you know, absolutely is something that you will get to see um, if this is something, you know, if homesteading is something you choose to do. Mm. Uh, there is there is so much uh, innovation happening in this sphere. Um that you know it, 
it does make things a lot easier. I mean, Anna and I, we live five days out of the week um, down in the valley mm. uh, because we, you know, we, we both work down there. Excuse me. But, um, and, and you know, our, and our, our pigs survive without us. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were better at growing plants, our plants would survive without us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's simply, you know, we have timed systems now that mm-hmm. can drop food in a bucket on mm-hmm. a timed basis. You have time systems where water can be, you know, ran through a hose on mm-hmm. a timed basis. Simple things like that, that simply like, uh, even if the technologies were there in our parents' generation or even our grandparents' generation, like, was that accessible? Mm, no. No. Was that like a $50 thing you could buy from your local tractor supply? No. <laughs> no. Um, right? That was like brand new technology that was hundreds of dollars that mm. only farmer, you know, like these big farms could afford. Um, now that's not the case. Mm. And so if you're going, you know, I think that like for anyone considering homesteading, the beautiful thing is, is that now, like, I think that maybe before it was a complicated thing because it was like, how am I even going to get the stuff I need? Like, how am I going to lay out the land so that I can even get water to the right places? Mm-hmm. Like, um, thanks to the the hose, like <laughs> <laughs> thanks to this magical invention, like um, and just how accessible that is in a reliable way. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the hose has been around for a long time, but yeah. reliability is kind of a questionable thing. Like, in a reliable way that we have access to now, it's homesteading is no longer a complex issue. Mm. It's really about like here's the thing: if your values are set, that you're willing to conduct manual labor for really no incentive except for the like joy of doing it Mm. then homesteading is for you um and it's not going to be complicated you're going to get cheaper land Mm -hmm. you're going to get like a a way sweeter deal on real estate than anyone else is going to because this is all low priority Mm -hmm. you're tax incentivized so you get lower taxes on your property right like so like on on an affordability perspective um if you're young and you're looking for a way to establish your life for as little money as possible uh, this is the way to do it. Mm. Um, you, if you're wanting to live like Anna and I are, where you're half in, half out, where you know we're still living the city life. I'm an entrepreneur. I, you know, I, I very much work and live in the business world during the week. Anna's a school teacher mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in Park City, right? And so, um, if you're wanting to do that, then the resources are absolutely there for you to be able to do it, um, and. And it's a great way to establish, you know, uh, those skills, those skills and, and kind of the assets. Again, I'm kind of drifting back into like um, the things that I wish weren't required, but kind of are required because of our, our society right now. Like mm-hmm. um, if you are a Utah resident that's complaining about home prices, um, you're going to find it two or three thousand dollars cheaper out here. <laughs> and uh, are you going to have to commute? You're going to have to commute. Mm-hmm. Um you better get an audible subscription, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and have lots of podcasts and things to listen to. Um, but you know, that's, that's what we do and it works. Mm-hmm. Thanks to, um, honestly, thanks to electric cars. Mm-hmm. Thanks to, uh, cause we save a lot of money. Thanks to that. Um, thanks to, you know, those automated systems I was talking about that can feed our animals while we're gone. They can mm-hmm. water our plants while we're gone. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is a lifestyle where you don't have to be all in to get started. Mm. And I think that that's maybe one of the biggest things that um, 
might be helpful to people that want to get into homesteading mm -hmm. is that you don't have to feel scared about like how am I going to make enough money to pay for my home once I move out into rural country? Like, yeah. what job am I going to have except for like working at a gas station? Mm -hmm. You know, you if as long as you find a place within what you're willing to drive mm -hmm. to, for your commute, you can be half in, half out at least for as long as you as you need to. Yeah. Um, especially now that jobs are getting more work remote friendly and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah. anyway, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there that like. Um, it's not complicated anymore. It's actually pretty simple. It's just simple doesn't mean it's easy. Mm -hmm. Simple doesn't mean that, um, you know, that you're going to have any time on your hands. Because mm -hmm. uh, with the added commute, um, the added just like taking care of life uh, on top of living, you mm -hmm. know, working a full-time job or yeah. going to school, whatever you might be doing, like uh, you will certainly be busy. Um, it is certainly difficult um, but you can absolutely get started. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that distinction you make between it being like simple versus easy kind of thing. It's not something that you can literally just like, uh, set up and have it just run on its own and you don't even have to think about it anymore. It is something that you have to put your, your consciousness into. You have mm -hmm. to put your time into it. Um, even though it is actually manually simple, it's just manual you have to do it you have to actually be there at least to set it up or at least yes. to um and to maintain it and things like that so and th honestly that's at least for me personally that is kind of the the steps i'm wanting to move towards because um i really think that a lot of our society is trying to um automate things not to free us up for creating true value in our lives through our connections with other people and through our connection with the environment but um freeing up our time in order to just distract ourselves yes um and to kind of like numb ourselves um and i, I i'm wanting to move out of that so that the the time and the consciousness that I'm putting into life and living is more valuable to me and is actually developing skills that I think are going to just change my value sets Absolutely. and change my mindsets. And I think that's, and I hope that that's the, uh, the intention for more people. Yeah. Well, 100%, we have more time on our hands than any generation has ever had ever. Mm -hmm. Thanks to cars, highways, phones, you know, list goes on automation at work even mm -hmm. right i mean automation is a big sphere i work in yeah um and i'm able to run a business without having to do any of my accounting without having to do like any of the hard business work that most people you know dread because i automated all of it mm -hmm. so like i put four or five hours a week into managing um the business uh and the rest of the time i i put in is more just like i want to put it in because i want the business to grow so it's like three to four hours a week is all I need to maintain my current income and the mm -hmm. rest is growth. Like, that's, that's cool. awesome. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And that's why I'm able to live the lifestyle I do, right? Mm -hmm. So, but what, but that's the thing is what you do with the time that automation gives you, mm. what you do with the time that our generation is like afforded, lucky, afforded mm -hmm. yeah, privileged to have, like, that's on, that's kind of on you. Yeah. And in my opinion, like, if you aren't spending that time doing fulfilling things, um, you're not going to be fulfilled. Yeah. Like I, I absolutely, I love kind of like the geometrical, um, hypo, uh, metaphor of fractals. Mm -hmm. And I like to apply it a lot to life a lot of just like the more you zoom in on a fractal, of course you see the same pattern. That's mm -hmm. what a fractal is. Is it the same pattern up above continues as you get mm -hmm. further down? And in my opinion, I like to look at that, like, um, 
on a minute by minute basis or a day by day basis or a month by month basis or a year by year or for your whole life. Like if you want your life to look a certain way, you need to start modeling. Yeah. Model your minutes that way. Model Mm. your day that way. And then your years are going to start looking like that. Yeah. And your decades are going to look like that. And then when you look back at your life, when you die, you're going to say, my life looked like how my day looked like. Yeah. And, um, so if you're, yeah, be immense value in that. Absolutely. And and so, you know, obviously like a lot of listeners of this podcast may be in a, in a circumstance where they don't have a lot of extra time. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you are one of those people that, you know, as you're listening to this, you, you, you do, you maybe are getting a little slapped in the face. I'm sorry. (laughs) Of like, like you do have three to four hours of personal time a day and you choose to spend that time doing something that, um, is not what you want to look back on your life having, you know, is kind of like what you want your legacy to be. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, get interested in homesteading mm-hmm. or get interested in, you know, building a business or get interested in doing something that adds value to your life and to other people's lives. Um, and that three to four hours a day is all you need to a month from now have something pretty cool. Yeah. And six months from now, have something pretty cool that works. Yeah. <laughs> and a year from now, have something really cool that works. And inspires people. And is inspiring people or adding true value. You mm. know, it took, it took, and I think that that's just a real pattern, you know, and that can be sped up with certain resources. But like for for Audio House, I'll mm-hmm. just use that as a, as a quick example. It took us about- Which is your business. Which is, our, yeah, it's, a, it's our business. It's Automated Recording Studios. Um, and I, I won't put a plug here really. Uh, if you want to, I guess you could look at audiohouse.fm and there I just gave a plug. That's but, fine. <laughs> um, uh, but like <clears throat> if, uh, you know, Todd and I, Todd's my business partner. He and I were both uh, in school working full time as we were building it, right? It was only a few hours a day that we had to actually work on it. Over a few months, we had something that we thought was pretty cool. Did it work? No. Does it work to how we want it? Not even even like five or four years later. No, it doesn't. But um, did it work enough to start adding value to people's life? Yeah, within about three months it did. Um, and the more we improved on it, within about two years, it was adding value to enough people's lives that uh, you know it was it it was a, it was substantial. It was a few hundred people a year wow. that we were benefiting. Um, and if Todd and I had different ethical uh, beliefs, um, it probably would have been enough to sustain us financially. Mm-hmm. But we were charging way too little for that. Yeah. Um, and so in about three years, it was doing well enough for me to leave my full-time job that I had. Um, a year after that is where we're at now. And yeah, like it, Todd and I have no other jobs. That's so um, we're still charging way low than, you know, when I tell most other people as, as I network with other business people and I tell them what we're charging, they're like, what? <laughs> like, that's <laughs> stupid. Like people would pay way more for that. And it's yeah. like, well, it's not about what people would pay. It's about what people can pay. It's about what, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not only, I guess, can as in like, uh, um, it, well, in my opinion, true affordability is that you can do it often enough. Um, you, you can do it as often as you healthily would like to. Mm, okay. Um, you know, so we try and set our prices so that most musicians can make music music as often as they would healthily like to. That's awesome. Is it cheap enough that like the obsessed 
person who wants to make music 24 7 could maybe afford it maybe not Probably not. Mm-hmm. but like the average musician does two or th- you know two to three songs that they kind of spit out of their brain mm-hmm. that they feel is like confident enough that they're like i actually want to turn this into a song mm-hmm. there's about like two to three of those a month for mm-hmm. you know for for the average musician can they afford with us two to three songs a month absolutely and that's kind of what we're going for so anyway that's awesome um you know <clears throat> over over four years uh we've been able to build something that adds a lot of value and works really well. Um, uh, and, and yeah, all it took was at the beginning, you know, sparing, sacrificing that one to two hours a day that we had mm-hmm. um, where, you know, we, we could have been doing lots of other things. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. I think uh, we, we can uh, start to kind of wrap this up here. Cause I, I've, I've really valued this conversation, Tyler. I appreciate you taking the time yeah. to, to talk with me about this. Cause I, I love the, the breadth of, of, uh, situations and uh, topics that we covered because I, I think <laughs> I mean it's just so valuable to me and I, I can tell that you've you've really put in the work and you've been doing such awesome and cool things and, and it really inspired me which is obviously why I asked you to be on the podcast so I mean if, if nothing else I think that's uh, <laughs> I think that's really cool yeah so um, thank you so much for your time on this man uh, and I, I hope to continue doing these in the future totally yeah and I mean if uh if you ever want to get into podcast or sorry not podcasting that's what you're doing if you ever want to get into homesteading is what i meant to say um or if any you know anyone listening wants to actually get into homesteading and kind of see more of like what that journey logistically looks like and the details of like uh, one example is like how did you even find property because Mm -hmm. you look on zillow and you can't find any because people out here that are trying to sell their homes they tend to not be the most technologically advanced people. Yeah. They're not listing their home on Zillow, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, or or Homey or anything like that. So like, if you want to hear about what we did to actually like do what we're doing, where we bought certain things from, where we got our pigs, blah blah blah. That's all stuff I'm happy to talk about. Like even on a one-on-one perspective, if if anyone hits us up on on Instagram, my Instagram username should be changed because it's embarrassing <laughs> but it's white shirt and tie tie is spelled ty um so white shirt and ty um <clears throat> and if you yeah if you just dm me anytime or, or whatever i'm more than happy to kind of walk you through things fantastic yeah and especially if i start getting into it more because i i really do want to it's it's a goal of mine um uh, we'll definitely cover some more of that yeah. on the podcast here cool sweet totally Thanks, man <laughs> thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kindness Rebellion. Um, I really appreciate you guys being here and uh, exploring this journey with me. I absolutely loved this conversation with Tyler. It was so amazing, so enlightening, and uh, there was just a lot of good information and a lot of uh, really hopeful information. Um, And I hope that if I sent this to you or if you just happened to uh, actually listen to it, um, I just want you to know thank you so much. Like, it really means a lot. Um, This is actually something very, very important to me. And uh, having these conversations with these wonderful people in my life um, has been one of the most valuable experiences ever. It's uh, it's creating such immense meaning. So please make sure to um, let me know you like it, you know. Please engage with it, you know. Share it around or, you know, talk to me about it, okay. Like, let's keep the conversation going. It's the only thing that gets us to actual action and actual change. So please, please keep subscribing, um, sharing it around, commenting, liking it, doing it, whatever it is, you know. And if you're a musician, make sure to check out audiohouse.fm, Tyler's business. Um, it's a really awesome tool for uh, any musicians who just need to kind of get these really cool ideas that they have um, out of their head and into an actual song. Uh, it's a really valuable service, so make sure to support him. Thank you so much for listening.